Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837, and FSP, dedicated to food service excellence. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us, If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, it was G.K. Chesterton who said, Christianity is the great religion of paradox, the coming together of clashing opposites. So we Christians say that God became a creature. The infinite became finite. The eternal became temporal. We also say things like, death is the path to life. That fulfillment is equivalent to the loss of self. All throughout the Gospels, this paradoxical language is typical. Our feast day today, The Feast of the Triumph of the Cross is a beautiful example of this Christian paradox. The strangeness, almost the joking quality of Christian speech. But you know, here's the problem. I think for a lot of us, we don't get the joke. We don't sense the paradox in Triumph of the Cross. The reason is that for us, the cross is a religious symbol. We see it usually in serene places like churches. It looks very beautiful. We're accustomed to associating the cross with pleasant, serene, holy things. People will wear the cross as a piece of jewelry or a pendant. So, yeah, okay, naturally, the cross is triumphant. But listen, for anybody in the first century or the second century, the phrase triumph of the cross would have been seen as, at best, a bad joke. At worst, a sign of lunacy, madness. Anyone's cross being seen as a triumph would have just struck them as bizarre beyond speech. They caught the paradox. So when Paul says things like, I glory in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ, glory in it. For anybody in the first century, the last place you'd look for glory is a cross. Or when Paul says, on the cross is the power of God. Power? The last place you'd look for power would be anyone's cross. The trouble is, we've lost the sense of the terrible quality of crucifixion. I got a chance recently to sense this. I was invited just a few weeks ago to an advanced screening of Mel Gibson's new movie called The Passion. Now, it's stirred up a lot of controversy because of the alleged anti-Semitism in it. I'm not going to talk about that. What struck me as I saw this movie was the brutal realism. This depiction of the crucifixion made it very clear what a cross was all about. 
It's a two-hour depiction of a man being brutally tortured to death. And there you see it in unrelenting detail. That was my experience of watching that movie. The opening scenes are in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then Jesus is arrested. And right from the beginning of this process, he is just brutalized. In some of the opening scenes in the Sanhedrin, Jesus looks for all the world like a boxer who's just been through the worst fight of his life. His right eye is just swollen shut, covered in bruises. But the most harrowing scene in the movie happens right after the Sanhedrin scene, the scourging at the pillar. Again, in our Christian imagination, we think about the scourging at the pillar. If you pray the rosary, you, you focus on it. But here was the most vivid and brutal depiction I have ever seen. We know, you know from archaeological evidence that the Romans used a variety of instruments when they scourged someone. It wasn't just a, a whipping, but using all kinds of, of brutal instruments. They tortured somebody. You know, from the Shroud of Turin, and I think the Shroud of Turin was used by Mel Gibson for some of the details. The, the body of the figure is covered in wounds, little hourglass-shaped wounds all over his front and back. We know that the Romans used a kind of cat-o'-nine-tails type thing with leather straps, and on the leather straps were embedded little bits of, of jagged bone. And so when they were scourging someone, they'd hit them with this thing. And it would not just whip the person, but it would tear out their flesh. This is on display in the movie in a way that is almost too much to bear. The scourging of Jesus in the film goes on, I would guess, for about 10 minutes. In the theater I was, surrounded by all kinds of people, there were groans and people covering their eyes and people saying, no, no. The, the reaction from the crowd was extraordinary as this scene just went on and on. The brutality of it, so clear. One of the terrible moments was as they finished this 10 minutes of, of torture, the Roman uh, soldier presiding over the scene says, turn him over. Turn him over. They turn him over and they start all over again. At the end of that scene, the, the ground, you know, the stone floor looked like a butcher's place. Just pools of blood. Jesus is crowned with the thorns, and of course the blood that flows from any wound of the head is always extraordinary. But then as he carries the cross, and you see him falling the three times, you see more clearly why he falls. Do you know, when you go to the doctor and they take a little bit of blood out of your arm for an exam, how that can make you kind of woozy. They make you lie down for a few minutes. Well, Jesus lost massive amounts of blood in this process of scourging. And so he falls just, just out of the sheer weariness and dizziness of all that blood loss. They come to Calvary and Jesus is just a, he's just a mass of wounds. And then they begin the crucifixion. You know in the Gospels it just says, and they crucified him. It's all you hear about it. Well, see, people in the ancient world would have known what that meant. And they crucified him. They would have been able to conjure the imagery of what was involved in crucifying someone. Well, Mel Gibson shows us what it was like to crucify someone. 
this man who's already, already almost at the limit of his physical strength. But then out come these nails, and imagine the size of the nail involved in a crucifixion. To go through a hand or foot, then into the wood of the cross, out the back long enough so it could be then tamped down. These huge nails. You know how you feel when the dentist brings out a needle that's a little big? You know how, how overwhelming that is? Well, these huge nails, then driven through the hands and feet of Jesus. The blood pouring forth, the terrible agony of it. And then we see what happened to someone who's crucified was a slow process of bleeding to death, but more importantly, of asphyxiation. Because it became increasingly impossible to breathe. You're trying to lift yourself up on these terrible wounds. That's why at the end of the process, when they want to move it along, they break the legs of the thieves on either side of Jesus. If you broke someone's legs, they couldn't lift themselves up to breathe. That's why that killed them. And we see in the case of Jesus, the, the spear thrust into his side and the blood and water coming out. Why am I immersing you now in all these terrible details? So that we might know what this meant for someone to go to a cross. And therefore, that we might begin to sense the power of the paradox when we say, this cross is a triumph. What could we possibly mean? First of all, Christians, the cross of Jesus becomes a triumph only in light of the great act of resurrection from the dead. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, Paul said, you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, our faith is in vain. Well, that's right. If he's not been raised, then his cross has the last word. This terrible brutality, this terrible death has the last word. The cross can be a triumph only because God raised him from the dead. And I don't mean that in some vague, symbolic way. Oh, his cause goes on, and oh, we think that he was a great person. We remember him fondly. If that's all it meant, the cross is not a triumph. This one whom you crucified, Peter says, God raised from the dead. That's why it's a triumph. And in light of the resurrection, the first Christians began to say, you know, God himself must have been involved in that terrible event. That shocking event. God himself must have been doing something there. Something, yes, triumphant even there. What was it? Well, over the centuries, Christians have offered many explanations of why God and how God was active on the cross. Let me just give you one perspective on it. Jesus is the Son of God. God's own self, God's own presence among us. The reaction to Jesus, oh, some initial acceptance, some excitement, some discipleship. But at the end of the day, everyone rejected him. At the end of the day, listen now, all the brutality of the world was hurled at him. See now, in all those details I was rehearsing, and all that terrible brutality of the cross, it's as though all of human sin is directed at him. Directed at him. 
And then in the resurrection, when Jesus returns in forgiving love, and he says, even in the wake of that terrible death, he says, peace be to you. When he says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. What do we witness? We witness our salvation. We killed God. We hurled all of our sin and all of our dysfunction and all of our brutality against God. And God returns in forgiving love. Christians, that means that the divine love on the cross of Jesus swallowed up the sin of the world. That's what it means. And in the brutality of the cross, we see our sin on vivid display. Jesus, in his divine love, absorbs it. That's why we say in the liturgy, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The cross is so brutal because our sin is so brutal. But he is the Lamb of God who is able to take into his own forgiving heart and absorb, listen, any and all of those sins. That's why we now hold up the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, in all of its shock and all of its terrible power. And we say, this is our triumph. Because here, the divine love, which is great enough to absorb all the sins of the world, is on display. And so, in a supreme paradox, we hold up this terrible event and we say, this is our salvation. We hold up this terrible event and we say, this is our triumph. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together, we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.